Blog Talk Radio. <coughs> Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out You've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads we have to walk are winding And all the lights that lead us there are blinding
2014, racial tension over policing reached a breaking point. It was a year of grand juries and smashed windows of tear gas and video evidence and a bolsterous demands for police reform in Los Angeles, New York, Oakland, and Ferguson, Missouri, as crowds cried, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. It was the year in which a black Stanton Island, New York man suspected of selling untaxed cigarettes, Eric Gardner, died after an altercation with police. The officer accused of putting him in an unauthorized chokehold was not indicted. Ohio police were similarly absolving after a fatally shooting John Crawford III in a Walmart <clears throat> after he picked up a BB gun while taking, talking on the phone with his girlfriend. Elsewhere in Ohio, a Cleveland police officer fatally shot a 12-year-old boy who was carrying a toy gun in a park. A death, the state medical examiner ruled a homicide. It was the year two police officers were shot dead in their patrol car in Brooklyn solely because their uniforms they wore. And of a solemn funeral after, at which hundreds of New York Police Department officers turned their backs on the mayor of the nation's largest city, who had said he told his mixed-race son to be weary of police for his own safety. In city after city, 2014 became a year in which the nation's lingering racial fissures burst open from the strain of a fundamental disagreement over the nature and purpose of policing especially in African-American communities. More so than te uh, teachers, tax collectors, or elected officials, police officers are often the most visible representatives of the government and its policies. On the streets of black communities across the country, which remain widely disadvantaged, both economically and politically. Eugene O'Neill, a former New York police officer, and prosecutor who is a lecturer at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice put the role of police in terms of politically philosophy. They use force on people. They are agents of coercion. They are surrogates sent there on our behalf. But while the role of officers to use force to protect life and property is a universal feature of American government, polls have shown that the degree of public trust in the police is politically polarized largely by skin color and to somewhat lesser extent political affiliation. That political friction has long existed in American life. So when black activists and Latino activists this year likened the arrival of widespread protests to new civil rights movement, their grievances centered on face to face with an old foe, the police. The latest tumultuous chapter in America's racial history can be traced back to a few moments on August 9th. That's when 18-year-old Michael Brown, who was black and unarmed, was shot and killed by a white police officer, Darren Wilson, after a struggle and a foot chase through the predominantly black St. Louis suburb of Ferguson. Officer-involved shootings, even of unarmed victims, happen all the time, but it's unclear exactly how often. Though some estimates put the number at at least in the hundreds, small protests or calls for reform afterward are common. So why did Ferguson come to be a launching point for months of intense desert? Some observers pointed to the predominantly black city's overwhelming white political leadership and police force, both of which were quickly overwhelmed by the duration and intensity of the protests that claimed its streets. 
Then there was the high drama of St. Louis area police agencies using tear gas and intimidating force and failing to quell often, but not often, always peaceful demonstrations in which every passing day seemed to bring some kind of escalation. Missouri government Governor Jay Nixon, who ordered a state of emergency and twice called in the National Guard, created a commission to study the roots of Ferguson's civic crisis. Outgoing U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, Jr., who was black, took a special interest in Ferguson to the pick of some police unions who thought he was being too critical of ground-level law enforcement. Federal officials descended on the suburb to open an investigation into the shooting and the practice of local police departments. The U.S. Department of Justice also will continue to investigate various police departments to check for patterns of civil rights violations. A running theme in the year's debate over policing has been understanding or the lack of. Protesters in Ferguson and elsewhere repeatedly said police and the rest of officialdom do not understand the pressures, challenges, and dangers facing black Americans. Insurance is high, gas is high, but that's not what I get mad. That's not why I get mad. Ferguson demonstrator Ricky Jones, 34, said during one of the first nights of an uprising in August. At the end of the day, when I'm driving home, they ask me to pull over and get out of the car. No license and registration. Please, get out of the car. Lay on the ground. Put your hands on your head. Police, for their part, say they are misunderstood also. There is a very pervasive feeling in law enforcement that the politicians are not supporting us, said Chuck Canterbury, national president of the Fraternal Order of Police, which has 325,000 members. Law enforcement is the only arm of the government that is ever asked to do anything about troubled communities. The politicians are the ones saying, get in there and stop that crime. And then when an incident happens, they rush to judgment that police were wrong. The opposing accounts of what happened the day Michael Brown died seem to capture and divide that will no doubt continue as debate continues on tactics, body cameras, and shooting investigations. Some witnesses said Brown had his hands up, and he, before he was shot, Wilson told investigators Brown was charging him at the attack. It was a basic disagreement of fact that would foreshadow the much larger debate looming for the nation on what it means to be Hispanic, black, a minority in America, or to be a police officer in America, and which voices from both sides would claim to be betrayed and, most of all, deeply misunderstood. Good morning, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to El Barrio Verde, a weekly political radio show from Los Angeles sponsored by East Los Angeles Community Law and Civil Rights Center, Self-Help Legal Solutions and Resources for the Entire Community. This is Carlos Montenegro and Bienvenidos to the Neighborhood. The show will be broadcasted weekly live from East Los Angeles in the Spanglish language for all of our hermanos and hermanas in all 50 United States. This week's show topic is Police Corruption and the Blue Wall of Silence. The pros and cons of establishing a community review board to independently investigate citizen complaints of police abuse, police corruption, and police conspiracies. Today on this show, we will be discussing the blue wall of silence, also blue code and blue shield, which are terms used in the United States to denote the idea of an unwritten rule that exists among police officers 
not to report on a colleague's errors, misconduct, or crimes. On this show, we will learn how and where to report police abuse and how communities can begin to document police misconduct. The East Los Angeles Community Law and Civil Rights Center is a nonprofit corporation offering a wide range of self-help legal services to the community of Los Angeles or immigrants or individuals who are economically challenged. The East Los Angeles Law, Community Law and Civil Rights Center uh, provides free and low-cost informational services to those who cannot afford the legal assistance of an attorney and who are unable to fill out the legal forms in self-representation cases on their own for lack of understanding the complexity of the law and self-pursuit of their personal freedoms, civil liberties, justice, and equality. The East Los Angeles Community Law and Civil Rights Center is located at 4765 Whittier Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90022, and our telephone number is area code 310-649-3634. If you'd like to communicate with us through email, our email is eastlosangeleslawcenter at gmail.com. And um, incidentally, at the end of the show, I will be uh, giving out a free PDF for a, um, a civil rights guide to uh, your rights um, and how to report uh, police misconduct. That's available for free in a PDF that I wrote for everybody, and I will be going over it at the end of the show here. So let's just get on um, today. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Let's just get on with uh, the rest of our show here today, and um, I have a few things to read here for you. Remember that today, um, the show, uh, we're only giving out a little bit of information. Uh, it's valuable information, but truly, um, you must do your own research and come up to your own conclusion. We, the people here, uh, local, state, government, um, that we live here, um, we have the ability to change these governments and local state policies um, in regards to our well-being and how we want the government to treat us. Um, you can do this by being involved actively in your community, uh, going to town hall meetings. Um, if you live in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles County, you can go to the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors meeting to uh, voice your opinion. Uh, it's important that the politicians um, that operate for the people, that govern over the people, that they understand uh, what people um, are thinking and that they, that they reflect in their policies um, a fair, um, fair policy of the people of, of what would they like to accomplish, uh, especially with this police review board that we are just about ready to discuss here. Just a moment here. All right, we're going to talk about the blue wall, a blue code of silence here. Blue wall of silence. The blue wall of silence, also code blue and blue shield, are terms used in the United States to denote the idea of an unwritten rule that exists among police officers not to report on a colleague's errors, misconducts, or crimes. If questioned about an incident or misconduct involving another officer, example, during the course of an official inquiry, while following the code, the officer being questioned would claim ignorance of another officer's wrongdoing. Um, heard many, many, many different sides of the story in this one, but you know, over the years, the the common theme with the LA County Sheriff and the um, 
LAPD has always been, well, that was an isolated incident um, with an individual that doesn't reflect the opinion of the whole department. But after countless and countless um, reports of police misconduct, whether they be all factual or some um, some factual, some unfactual, or based on an incident, um, we find that there is a common theme, um, which is called the blue wall of silence among officers. Um, we know that it exists. We have the Rampart scandal, in which um, various people were indicted, put in jail. We have countless other incidents of even groups of officers um, involved in criminal activity, all kinds of different things that are happening. In fact, every year, not only does the city of Los Angeles or the county of Los Angeles, but the state of California, we pay out millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to victims of police misconduct cases. Um, a lot of us are not aware of that, but um, if you do some research on it, you'll find out on the Internet and from different sources, if you piece it together, uh, how much millions and how many millions have been wasted. Now, where does that money come from? That money comes from you and I, taxpayers, those of us that work uh, nine to five, that work every day of the week, or uh, who have families support. And um, these are uh, cases that um, that involving the millions of dollars. Some of them settled out of court, and so the um, what happened in the cases is private for the settlement offers. But at any rate, um, I'd like everybody to know that, you know, this is millions and millions of dollars that we could be saving if we had some kind of civilian um, policing community review board that could investigate these claims um, so that we could um, interject or add some policy that would positively change uh, the way uh, law enforcement thinks, the way they conduct their business or how they conduct um, their relationships on the street with people here. So police corruption. The code is considered to be police corruption and misconduct. Any officers who engage in discriminatory arrest, physical or verbal harassment, and selective enforcement of the law are considered to be corrupt. Many officers who follow the code may participate in some of these acts during their career for personal matters or in order to protect or support fellow officers. All of these are considered illegal offenses and are grounds for suspension or immediate dismissal. Officers who follow the code are unable to report fellow officers who participate in corruption due to the unwritten laws of their police family. Police perjury is when an officer gives false testimony in court. Officers who do not lie in court um, may sometimes be threatened and ostracized by fellow police officers. In 1992, the Commission to Investigate Allegations of Police uh, Corruption, also known as the Mullen Commission, undertook a two-year investigation on perjury in law enforcement, and they discovered that some officers falsified documents such as arrest reports, warrants, evidence for illegal arrest or search. Some police officers also fabricated stories to the jury. The Commission found that the officers were not lying for greed, but because they believed that they were imprisoning people who deserve it. Many prosecutors allow police perjury to occur as well. Many police departments have their own code of conduct. The department trains new recruits and investigates police officers if they have a complaint from a civilian. 
There are also some state laws put in place to help protect civilians from corrupted officers. If the officer is found guilty, officers can be sued by the victim for damage caused by excessive force, police brutality, false arrest and imprisonment, malicious prosecution, and wrongful death. We're not going to discuss it on this show. We're just going to discuss what to do when um, you when you feel you're a victim of police misconduct. Um, but we have a show on February 4th, Wednesday, which we're going to talk about government tort law and filing claims uh, for police misconduct where to go in Los Angeles County and the city of Los Angeles and how to start that process right there. Okay. Federal laws strongly prohibit officer misconduct, including officers who follow the code by testifying or neglecting to report any officer who is participating in corruption. If an officer is in violation of any of the officer misconduct, federal laws, only the federal government can issue a suit. The police department is only responsible for preventing corruption among officers. If an officer is convicted, they may be forced to pay high fines or be in prison. To be convicted, the plaintiff must prove that the officer was following the code or participating in negligent and unlawful conduct. It is often hard to convict an officer of following the code or other forms of corruption because officers are protected by defense of immunity which is an exemption from penalties and burdens that the law generally places on other citizens. U.S. Supreme Court decisions have continually asserted the general rule that officers must benefit of the doubt that they acted lawfully in carrying out their day-to-day duties, a position reasserted in Saucer v. Katz, 533 U.S. Law 194-121-S, uh, CT.2151. So there are already some red flags right there about uh, that we should automatically assume that a police officer is telling the truth when we know that um, that's not always being so. Um, and um, people, I think, are starting to um, to question that authority. Um, long ago, um, police were seen as, um, you know, helpers, uh, if they came to your system, people felt comfortable. Now when the police arrive, people feel very, very uncomfortable um, that possibly they may not even do their job and overlook a lot of things. But one of the main um, things that seems to be um, prevalent in many of the police abuse cases is the lack of information of the cases. A person, um, a witness may give, or the victim gives testimony about what happened, uh, they also talk about other people that were witnesses. The witnesses never get questioned, or the police officer simply um, doesn't want to take an account. He may not want to write a long report, or the person might themselves be um, a criminal or have criminal background, um, which, by by the way, doesn't negate the fact that they can still be um, abused by the police or law enforcement. But... um, it's just a way to sort of gloss over the reality of really what's happening and what they're doing. And um, this is really, really widespread. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk a little bit about civilian community review boards, what they are and what they're not. Um, there's been, a, because of all the different uh, police brutality cases that have happened in 2014, um, Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors has issued um, several, during their meetings, several thoughts about about creating the civilian uh, board. And um, I'd like to read to you a couple articles uh, from the um, 
um, Los Angeles Times. But I want to read this other thing here first for called Police Misconduct and Civil Rights. Police officers generally have broad powers to carry out their duties. The Constitution and other laws, however, place limits on how far police can go in trying to enforce a law. As the videotape beating of motorist Rodney King in Los Angeles and several recent cases in New York have illustrated, police officers sometimes go too far, violating the rights of citizens. When this happens, the victim of the police misconduct may have recourse through federal and state laws. A primary purpose of the nation's civil rights laws is to protect citizens from abuses by government, including police misconduct, civil rights laws, allow attorney fees and compensatory and punitive damage as a sentence for injured parties to enforce their rights. Overcoming immunity. Being stopped and questioned by police in connection with the crime is an unsettling experience for most people. As long as the officer is performing his job properly, however, there is no violation of a suspect's rights. In fact, police are immune from suit for the performance of their daily routine jobs unless willful, unreasonable conduct is demonstrated. Mere negligence, the failure to exercise due care is not enough to create liability. Immunity, therefore, means that in the typical police-suspect interaction, the suspect cannot sue the police. Civil rights remedies come into play for willful police conduct that violates an individual's constitutional rights. So there's um, a lot of gray area there. If if you're not really sure about um, this type of law, um, you have to really educate yourself so that you know um, what what rights you have. And I believe that that's why so many cases go unreported is because it's an area that requires um, a lot of reading uh, and understanding of the laws of the land. Civil rights laws and police misconduct. A statute known as Section 1983 is the primary civil rights law victims of police misconduct rely on. This law was originally passed as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1871, which was intended to curb oppressive conduct by government and private individuals participating in vigilante groups, such as the KKK. It is now called Section 1983 because that is where the law has been published. Within Title 42 of the United States Code, Section 1983, makes it unlawful for anyone acting under the authority of the state law to deprive another person of his or her rights under the Constitution of free federal law. The most common claims being brought against a police officer false arrest, false imprisonment, malicious prosecution, and use of excessive or unreasonable force. False arrest. The claim that is most often asserted against police is false arrest. Persons bringing this claim assert that police violated their Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable seizure. If the officer had probable cause to believe the individual had committed a crime, the arrest is reasonable and the Fourth Amendment has not been violated. Police can arrest without a warrant for a felony or misdemeanor committed in their presence. Some states also allow warrantless arrests for misdemeanor or domestic assaults not committed in the police officer's presence. Even if the information the police officer um, the officer relied upon later turns out to be false, the officer is not liable it was accurate at the time of the arrest. To prevail on a false arrest claim, the victim must show that the arresting officer lacked probable cause that is facts sufficient to cause a reasonable person to believe that a crime had been committed. Malicious prosecution. A malicious prosecution claim asserts that the police officer wrongly deprived the victim of the 14th Amendment, the right to liberty. 
To win this type of claim, the victim must show four things. Number one, the defendant police officer commenced a criminal proceeding. Two, the proceeding ended in the victim's favor. That is, no conviction. Three, there was no probable cause. And four, the proceeding was brought with malice towards the victim, as with false arrest. This claim will fall, fail, if the officer had probable cause to initiate criminal proceedings. Let's talk about excessive force. Excessive force claims received the most publicity, perhaps because the results of the excessive force seemed the most outrageous, involving serious physical injury or death. Whether the officer's use of force was reasonable depends on the surrounding facts and circumstances. The officer's intentions or motiv- motivations are not, control- are, are not controlling. If the amount of force was reasonable, it doesn't matter that the officer's intentions were bad. But the reverse is also true. If the officer had good intention but used unreasonable force, the excessive force claim will not be dismissed. Let's talk about failure to intervene. Officers have a duty to protect individuals from constitutional violations by fellow officers. Therefore, an officer who witnesses a fellow officer violating the individual's constitutional rights may be liable to the victim for failing to intervene. Let's talk about the qualified immunity defense. Defense attorneys representing a police officer for any of these claims will raise a defense of qualified immunity. This defense exists to prevent the fear of illegal prosecution from inhibiting a police officer from enforcing the law. The defense will defeat a claim against the officer if the officer is a clearly established constitutional or statutory right. In other words, the specific acts the um, officer prevented the individual from engaging in must be legally protected. Otherwise, there is no civil rights violation. In order to win a civil rights claim, an individual bringing a police misconduct claim must prove that the actions of the police exceeded reasonable bounds, infringed the victim's constitutional rights, and produced some injury or damages to the victim. Let's talk about police misconduct um, if you've been affected. Civil right claims are an important part of our legal system, providing a balance between the duty of law enforcement to uphold the laws and the rights of the individuals to be free from police misconduct. Yet cases against police officers can be difficult. Officers may be immune from suit even though an individual feels that he or she was mistreated. Claims against the police department can also be expensive to bring about. A lot of evidence must be secured, including record statements of police statements of witnesses, and various other documentation to prove the misconduct. The evidence supporting your claim is the most important element in a police misconduct suit. If you feel that you've been the victim of police misconduct, contact a civil rights attorney promptly so that the valuable evidence does not disappear. Take photographs of the injuries or damage caused by the police and set aside clothing or other objects that were torn or stained with blood from the incident. Try to get the names and addresses or telephone numbers of anyone who may have been a witness to the incident. Also, write down exactly what happened as soon as you can so that you don't forget important details. On this note, um, I want to let everybody know that um, the East Los Angeles Community Law and Civil Rights Center also is a reporting center for civil rights violations of police misconduct. Um, if you have a incident to report, um, I would welcome you to visit me at the center, um, and um, we can uh, write up a report. Um, about what happened. This will help you um, to um, take to an attorney. Uh, it will help you so you don't forget all of the facts. 
Um, and uh, we can also help you uh, by giving you information of where to send the, the report um, to the appropriate agencies um, so you can start documenting it, keeping track of it. It's important to remember that during these cases, there is a very small window of time uh, that these cases can be filed or even made uh, put on notice of cities. It's called statute of limitations. It's a time that... Um, that you have um, limited time to present your case or present your evidence. Um, there are tons and tons and tons of agencies out there, private and public, that you can report police um, misconduct. Um, uh, but coming down to our center is a great start um, because we can give you the information sheet or send everything, um, and we can document your case um, right there at our center and um, type it out for you. And... Um, go from there, but it's important that these cases be um, documented within the community, and we will keep a record of, of that um, of that report in our file um, so we can present them to the proper authorities uh, once we have amassed um, many different complaints. So again, if you'd like to uh, report police misconduct, uh, it's a verified police misconduct, meaning that this is just not a... Um, fanatical group or individual or that you know you're making up something uh, because we'll ask you to take an oath on the perjury of penalty when we take your report at our center uh, to verify this complaint. Um, you can reach me at 310-619-3634. That's 310-619-3634. Or visit our center on Whittier Boulevard at 4765 Whittier Boulevard. Los Angeles, California, 90022. We are located inside the East L.A. Indoor Squat Meet. My name, again, is Carlos Montenegro, and I'll be more than happy to assist you with that. All right, let's go into um, a couple of these articles here that I think are important um, that have come out. And so that you get a chance to know exactly where Los Angeles is going with this. This article was written on December 10th. 2014. It's called Civilians Will Oversee the LA County Sheriff's Department After All Under Public Safety and Justice in the Los Angeles Times. Article by Cindy Chang and Abby Sewell. Faced with a series of scandals that have roiled the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, the Board of Supervisors voted Tuesday to create a civilian oversight system to provide greater accountability for the agency. The action is the latest in several moves aimed at restoring public trust in the department whose officials have faced criminal charges over obstruction of justice and mistreatment of inmates in a sprawling jail system. It also marks the first major shift in policy since two new supervisors took office earlier this month. In August, the old board rejected a proposal to create a board of citizens to monitor the Sheriff's Department, questioning the timing and the effectiveness of the move. But the two new members, Sheila Crow and Hilda Solis, declared their support for civilian oversight, citing not just problems in the Sheriff's Department, but also controversial police killings around the country that have sparked national protests. We can't afford to delay any longer, Solis said. Across this country, public trust in, people, in the people who are charged with keeping us safe has fallen to a low. The precise powers of the commission will depend to a large extent on the new Sheriff, Jim McDonald, who, has elected to the job, who was elected to the job last month after longtime Sheriff Lee Baca resigned in January. The sheriff is an independently elected office, so McDonald is not obligated to take direction from the supervisors or their oversight commission. 
McDonald takes over the post under an unprecedented degree of scrutiny, including an um, impending federal consent decree governing mentally ill inmates last year. The supervisors appointed a veteran public corruption prosecutor to be the department's inspector general. Many of the commission's details, including how many how many members it will have, the scope of its powers, and its relationship to the new inspector general's office, remain to be worked out. A panel, including the sheriff and other county officials, will issue recommendation within the next three months. The proof is in the pudding. What kind of civilian review board it will be and what its powers are, how it's appointed, remains to be seen. It has the potential to be a good thing, said Merrick Bob, who is a county watchdog, uh, issued critical reports about sheriff's department for the past 22 years. McDonald, who supported the creation of a civilian commission, said he will take its suggestions seriously. In his campaign for sheriff, he cast himself as a reformer from outside the department who helped the LAPD emerge from the Rampart era. And all those who were around at that time, remember that was pretty scandalous. In a statement released Tuesday, McDonald emphasized the need for the commission to be independent. An idea size would be seven to nine members, including several not appointed by the county supervisors, he said, with the members unpaid and perhaps serving a set number of years. The inspector general should report to the Citizens Commission, McDonald said. McDonald has cited his experience at the LAPD working under its police commission which sets agency policy, plays a major role in hiring the police chief and reviews use of force incidents. I have long believed that partnerships with our community should be embraced, not feared, he said in the statement. Since 1992, when a commission commission led by retired Judge James G. Colts issued a 359-page report, the Sheriff's Department has received detailed recommendations for reform and often failed to implement them. Bob's semi-annual reports describe issues including excessive force by deputies against jail inmates and a department culture that failed to punish bad behavior. But he had no power enforcement and the problems persisted. In 2002, the U.S. Department of Justice began monitoring the treatment of mentally ill inmates in county jails. Earlier this year, it, in a strongly worded letter describing a drastic increase in jail suicides, Federal officials warned that a court order consent decree was imminent. The Citizens Commission on Jail Violence, which issued an influential report in 2012 and County McDonald among its members, called for the creation of an Inspector General's Office and other Sheriff's Department reforms, but did not call for civilian oversight. The Department has been implementing the reforms proposed by the Jail Violence Commission. Major force incidents such as deputies kicking suspects in the head, or causing bone fractures appear to be down with only three reported in the last nine months of this year. Isn't that great, everybody? Well, street policing has been an issue, too. In 2013, the U.S. Department of Justice accused sheriff's departments in the Animal Valley of racially biased policing, including unlawfully searches of homes, improper detentions, and unreasonable force against African Americans who received low-income subsidized housing. Can you imagine that? Crew and Solis, who were sworn in with McDonald on December 1st, joined with Supervisor Mark Radley Thomas to approve the Citizens Oversight Board. Los Angeles County, with the nation's largest sheriff's department, should send a clear signal with respect to reform, openness, transparency, and accountability, Riley Thomas said. Crew said that the commission will provide a needed public forum to air issues before they develop into full-blown crisis. 
the public really doesn't feel that they knew or knew in time what was going on, she said. 